Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello there and welcome to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. This week again we've got Matt Allen back and we're discussing plenty of things from how Kevin Feige could really change the outlook of how the Star Wars films come out, what Taika Waititi's effect is going to be and we're going to chat about Kathleen Kennedy. Really if you look at it she's been nothing but a success as the leader of Lucasfilm and Star Wars and what she's managed to do in her time there. But then we're also going to chat about many things like the rivalries that we would love to see in the Obi-Wan series, especially Darth Maul and Darth Vader. So without further ado, here's the next episode of the Jedi Order podcast. I feel... Now, their whole Star Wars are kind of... The people that Kennedy's brought into it now, she's kind of holding a winning pack. There's very much... I very much feel that Kathleen Kennedy is a phenomenal producer. Yeah. And she always has been. You can just see that with the whole body of work that she has done. So, like, a couple of things might not have worked out to the way they wanted story-wise for the original trilogy. But remember, she's also the person that brought in Favreau and moved Filoni to live action. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not exactly... And it's not exactly like these films did not make money. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> they made a host of money. But I was the only one that was disappointing, but then I think that was about timing. That was all about timing. Like, as, for me, I was a massive fan of the Solo film. Yeah. And I feel if you take Solo from that release schedule of the 25th of May when it came out um, originally, and you put it forward tw- 12 months, and you release it uh, nearly a year and a half, to when The Last Jedi came out, you're crossing that half a billion mark at the cinema, no problem. No problem whatsoever. It was just timing, and it was just this whole big factor of, we forget at the helm of this, Star Wars is Disney. Disney is a massive company. It's a public company. It has to meet loads of requirements and quarters and financial things. So somebody in a boardroom just made the decision that Solo had to still come out when it was supposed to come out. Yeah, and unfortunately yeah. that didn't work for it financially um, but now it's almost like she's holding the winning hand I very much feel because you've got Kevin Feige confirmed yeah. you've got Brian Johnson confirmed and you've got Taika Waititi confirmed now in my mind if I'm putting this together I'm like right let's get the Russo brothers they've said yeah. they would have to explore it hey, so let's, let's do it and let's give Kevin Feige a Taika Waititi run and a Russo Brothers run, where they can do one, two, three, however many films they want to do each. Give the let the Russo Brothers do it and um, get McFeely and um, forget the other guy's name who wrote the uh, Infinity War and yeah. and, and uh, Winter Soldier. Let them do three films. 
give Tyker three films, let him write it, get Filoni and Favreau to consult to be ex-producers on these on both productions and Kevin Feige to helm it in the way that the story can come together and then create an Avengers send-off. Get brilliant, wouldn't it? Think- and bring them together for a, like a two-parter where yeah. all of these guys can now um, come together and work it out that way. I what? think that's what we, we all want. We've, I think that's why Mandalorian felt like such a win because it was a story that worked. And I think if you're a Star Wars fan going into that sequel trilogy and seeing the original crew involved, all of them, even Harrison Ford, convinced to come back. Um, to see the story unfold in such a tangled, confusing way was really disheartening. Mm. It felt like a massive missed opportunity. But if... And I'm, I, I'm, I'm not one of those people that bashes Kathleen Kennedy. There's, I think the Star Wars... Some of the Star Wars fan base has become quite toxic, very toxic. Very toxic. It's okay. really, it's really just not a nice thing. No, but I think that just goes across everything. You know, whether it's football, Game of Thrones, whatever it is, people are, are just angry about everything if they don't get exactly what they want. Yeah. But if Kathleen Kennedy gives Kevin Feige almost like a editor in chief role, where he says, like, "Look, I'm." You're going to go here with these three stories. You're going to go here with these three. You're going to go here with these three. Tonally, they're all going to be very different and they're going to play in different areas of, of the toy box, but they're actually going to be leading up to something else. That would be very interesting. Mm. It's all going to be new characters. Um, you know, we're not going to kind of, re- we're not going to lean on what's gone before. That could, that could work really well. Something else I wanted to mention about Taika Waititi, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Going back to Ryan Johnson and, and The Last Jedi and Taika Waititi, I thought the humour in The Last Jedi was off. I thought that it just hit the wrong beats. It was a bit too Marvel, you know, throwing the lightsaber over the shoulder, the kind of, I can't hear you, the, the phone calls breaking up humour of Poe and that, and that Star Destroyer. But I thought Taika Waititi brought a very different type of humour to Star Wars that did work. And I, particularly in that scout trooper conversation at the start where they're leaning on, on, the, on the speeder bikes and they're kind of arguing about wanting, wanting to see the child and talking about how the moths killed another couple of troops and that kind of thing. It just felt, it just felt very natural. Yeah. I, I'm really excited about him doing the Star Wars film, hopefully a trilogy. A, because I think he's such a great director. I know James wasn't James that wasn't a fan of, of Jojo Rabbit when you had him on a couple of weeks ago. Mm. I thought that was a, a beautiful film. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Nazi Germany seen through the eyes of these really funny kids and the kind of the, 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 the story that played out between the main boy and his mum and the girl hiding in the attic and his change of heart. I, just, I think he's such a, such a great director because he can really blend comedy and tragedy he's got a very good balance of of light and shade and he understands star wars yeah very much Uh, one thing i would love to put on jojo rabbit um 
a film I definitely couldn't watch again or elements I could just because it's got it absolutely kind of rips your heart out at one point yeah um, which he's so uh brilliant at kind of adding those emotional beats when he needs to Tyker, um which is great because he balances that and humor so well but there's always that and I can't f- think of another film that's touched on it you get uh, right at the end of sorry spoilers for anybody who hasn't uh, seen it but at the end of Jojo where they're almost doing the Nazis are doing their last stand oh, and they're just throwing people out there like go and you kind of feel oh my god there's like an hour there where <laughs> from one to two you could easily die for a cause that is non-existent anymore yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, these people are just being sacrificed and kids are being sacrificed almost as like this last yeah go for it people are still holding <laughs> on to this like he's like <laughs> she was like i think rebel, rebel wilson, wilson who's so no, brilliant yeah was uh, almost like either strapping bombs or stuff <laughs> to yeah, kids I think, wasn't the line <laughs> go and hug an allies Yes, yeah. Drops grenades in the kid's pocket. Go and hug, go and hug an allied. Yeah, <laughs> it's so unbelievable. And you're like, oh gosh. This I is... mean, I, I was kind of emotionally ravaged by the end of that film. Yeah, and and I just watched again. I don't know if you've seen it. I think it's on the BBC on iPlayer, where Tony Visconti breaks down heroes because he obviously recorded heroes with Bowie, mm. and he. He's on, he's on the mixing desk and he's breaking down all the parts of the song, the guitars, drums, vocals, which it's so fascinating because each element has a different story attached. You know, Bowie, the story of Bowie coming back and seeing the lovers kissing at the wall, all that kind of thing, and, the, and how the guitar texture was made. But that's one scene at the end where you can just hear it bubbling under that guitar line from Heroes. And I remember sitting in the cinema, being on the edge as it was, and be like, "Don't play Heroes now, please don't play." Because I knew it would just tip me over the edge. Mm. As soon as it kicked in, I was just blubbing. It's so brilliant. And yeah. if he can bring that emotion to a Star Wars film, that would be incredible. Yeah, because that's that's the type of thing he. I think he's got he's got a brilliant perspective in the way he and you see about it when he talks about it um on the mandalorian he's not a conventional director very much like there's some things that he very much says the more the technical side of directing goes over his head yeah to a certain extent it's like yeah i didn't really understand understand <laughs> what that was what that techno jargon was but i'm i i've got a script and i know what i want to see <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah so he's got a really unique kind of view and way of telling things but he is someone like other people like James Gunn and others like that who can do that brilliant balance of comedy um drama and seriousness when it needs to come in yeah um so having Tiger and I feel you know at this stage we probably I can't see why you wouldn't get three Tycho Thor movies. They've obviously already announced the second. Yeah. But I, I very much feel giving him a three-film arc to tell a story with Kevin Feige on the in the producer's chair, I don't think you can come out of that with something that's not appreciated by a lot of people. I think we got they're going to have competition, given that he's very keen on if he's on doing the Flash Gordon film yeah 
he talked he he's on the the Russo brothers pizza film school and I think he I think he secured the rights. He's not he's not gonna remake the kind of the, the Max von Sydow version is mm. but apparently he's going back through all the old comics because there's a treasure trove of stories there and I think he he would do a brilliant job on that. I mean because Thor Ragnarok almost feels a bit it's a bit flash Gordon-y in parts. Yeah. Especially the, the, the scenes involving Jeff Goldblum. And there's a kind of a brilliant campness to it. And it's very funny. It's kind of over the top. It's a, there, there's all these, it's a mismatch of characters that, and actors that shouldn't really work together, but somehow they do. And that's exactly what Flash Gordon was when it came out. You've got Max von Sydow and you've got all these other, all these other really interesting actors. You've got a Queen soundtrack, Brian Blessed with Wings. I mean, it's just, it's all so mad when you kind of, when you list what is in that film, it sounds like whoever invented it was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Blessed in. He'll be a bird man. Okay. Max von Sydow's going to be me. There's going to be a button for, for hail tornadoes on this destruction machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, going to get the guy from Blue Peter to have a cameo. I mean, it's all so nuts. But the, tree, the weird tree trunk thing. Yeah. It's Peter Duncan, isn't it? Duncan Dare's fame. Yeah. He puts his arm in and it's so painful he has to be killed by uh, Timothy Dalton. I mean, <laughs> it really sounds like the invention of a pisshead. Yeah. But it works so well. And it, when you when you watch it again, with Taika Waititi in mind, it just feels so natural for him to want to go there. So hopefully he's going to he's only going to do a one off, or he's got time to do that and a Star Wars film every other year. Because I think he he just yeah he, he feels like a good fit. Yeah, and this is this is what they need to do, isn't it? They need to not that what they haven't been doing hasn't obviously worked. Like we've said before, it's been massively financial successful, and it has put Star Wars back at the forefront again. Yeah. Um, but they they should do the release approach, um, in terms of the Marvel release approach. They yeah. should have these. You should have the Russo brothers telling their story and Taika telling his story, and you could do one for you can keep that December time frame for your films and have a star wars film every year for six years running and have those arcs both told and then you could bring some of those characters together for the seventh year or eighth year either in a one-parter or a two-parter or whatever would work at that particular point in the story so i feel we're in this really i mean if you're a star wars fan hey if you're a science fiction or just adventure fan we're at such a privileged standpoint now that we get to talk about all these films. Say, say they do give those trilogies out. You're talking about possibility of nine more films, and I can't even begin to imagine how many Star Wars series we're going to get. So the hours of content just on the horizon, um, especially you've got that new animated series, Bad Batch, that's yeah. just confirmed as well, which is something that keeps that beloved animation arc of star wars alive and kicking and well i mean it's, you need never leave your house again which is handy because we pretty much can't these days yeah so <laughs> come through um, the streaming service it'd be brilliant 
I mean, I'm, I mean, we're also extremely fortunate that Mandalorian season two was completely filmed oh, before man. lockdown happened. I'm so pleased about that. I mean, because what's what's been so good about the Mandalorian is that it's really it's been so well received by people who aren't hardcore Star Wars fans, which is which is so which is a testament to the again the, the storytelling and the production. People who who kind of go into films not knowing the backstory to certain characters or or how things came to be within the story have watched Mandalorian and gone, this is brilliant. Because it's a very inclusive story. It doesn't rely on not that not that the, the trilogy films or the or the other films do, but certainly films like Rogue One. Rogue One really benefited people who had read Catalyst just beforehand because it gave a greater story arc to to Jyn Erso um, and uh, Galen Erso. But The Mandalorian as a self-contained thing was just so appealing to to a lot of people. And I think that's going to... that's With Kenobi, I think, coming next, with a familiar lead role and character that's only going to draw more and more people into disney plus they must be very happy yeah yeah very much so and i feel also with with the films and with the um disney plus series and another thing take another leaf out of marvel's approach you know marvel obviously extremely they extremely benefit from the what 80 years worth of content that they have written down unbelievable that you can literally go in and pick something either really obscure or really well known which sits with well with characters and i know obviously lucasfilm they wanted to start their own new narrative um in terms of what's canon and what's not or what's legend but you they own the rights you have all of these books and comics which came out mainly in the 90s and early noughties yeah of legend i think people very much just like use the source material yeah you don't have to use it for huge storylines but i'm sure there's countless good story beats characters certain arcs that can be taken from any of those pages that can only benefit productions going forward there's a lot there i mean i, I think um it's like i say it feels like it's a bit of a regrouping period for lucasfilm mm in that they've got the Mandalorian feels like a home run for the next, you know, the, the forthcoming season. They haven't got to worry about that. It's with Kenobi and and uh, Cassian Andor in production that you know they they're going to be fine. But they've actually got space to breathe in terms of because you know, everything's held up. You know, there's going to be such a it's going to be a really interesting period coming up. Where, because Netflix and HBO on demand and have all top all top loaded their schedules because of everyone being stuck indoors, they brought a lot of stuff forward. But a lot of things have been halted in production. You know, whether it's Succession on HBO or whatever, and there's films kind of in almost a holding pattern. You got the James Bond film. We're still waiting to hear when that's going to land. It keeps. I think it's gone to November now, isn't it? I'm not sure. 
I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if it was pushed to next year. Yeah. And so we've got a situation where because production has stopped and so many things, quite a lot of stuff has been cancelled mm. mid-production. And so a lot of these streaming services are, are gonna be we need we've got we've got months of schedule to fill. We need to start putting things into development quite quickly. Mm. If you're running a film company like if you're Lucasfilm, you're thinking, well, let, let's sit back, let's regroup. Let's, we've got breathing space. Let Mandal- Mandalorian's going to keep people off our backs for another year. Let's finish off the TV shows we've got now and let's really take some time to get the next film right. I think I think very much. I think that's probably why you got the announcement of Bad Batch. Yeah. Uh, I, I very much feel that that might have been an announcement that was held off for a while. There was no need to rush it. But now due to the uh, limited way of making live action they were like well let's announce an animation now because it kind of like you said the mandalorian will come in october and that will be they will release that weekly because they i don't think they want to rush the fact of dumping that all out in one go no um and they might even have i feel they might have done it in america did they have a season break mid season break well for mandalorian yeah Yeah. so so i feel that will happen again yeah, because they, once again, it's why rush it out. Yeah, they gave, basically gave some room for uh, the rise of Skywalker. I think they showed the first four and then or five, and then had the last few episodes after Christmas. Mm. So you, you you're very much then you know they're hoping Kenobi scheduled to start filming in January, but then obviously with Bad Batch and animation, they could probably get half a first season of that ready to come between. Uh, Mandalorian and Kenobi. Yeah. So, yeah, it make it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And now they have the time to build that. They can do so much um, pre-production on the film that they wouldn't have had this type of lead time before. No. Because they've pushed it back, I believe. Or, or I can't remember when the next film is scheduled for. It might be twenty twenty two. Um. And that might well get pushed back. We don't know. No, but that's, that's, I would say push it back another year and you're kind of sitting in a good spot. Yeah. Sitting in a good spot because we know that some of the problems, isn't it, that the sequel trilogy has had is these time constraints. It's what JJ had on The Rise of Skywalker. What, three, four months less than he had on Force Awakens? That's massive. And if you look at the original trilogy, it was three years between each film. I know. Technology has allowed us to speed up the kind of the film production process, but even so, that's a long time. That's that's that extra year is so important for letting the story breathe and allowing people to make more considered decisions about character arc and and where certain themes are going and and what we're doing with certain characters. Um, so I think yeah, that that will go back to twenty twenty three. I think the one thing. My one criticism of The Mandalorian, not, and it's not about on the creative, but on the actual release. And it was, of course, it was down to the launch, the launch of Disney Plus, but they should have released it in the UK and the US at the same time. I, yeah. I know that when I, I got up on the morning that it was released in the States, and it was supposed to be coming on, on online Disney Plus kind of, two or three in the morning on the Friday. But by accident, they put it online at kind of Thursday 
at sort of eight o'clock and just scrolling through Twitter and seeing Baby Yoda and and just thinking, oh my but the big the big reveal of the first episode is ruined. Yeah. I think over here in the UK, there were baby Yoda toys in the Disney stores about two months before the Mandalorian even aired. Yeah. Yeah, so because was it was no, what nearly a six month gap. Yeah. And there was no escaping it. And so I felt very envious of, the, of people who, because I, I like, like I say, I wasn't expecting a Game of Thrones style, do not look on Twitter kind of uh, wall going up for anyone who's, who's interested in the show on the Mandalorian straight off the bat. But that's exactly what happened. And so I was very envious of people who saw the show completely unaware, who saw Baby Yoda for the first time and thought, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. And then that really brilliant sort of E.T. moment with him standing over the crib and the, thing, the two fingers join. I mean, he, and I think, yeah, I think they will this time, given that the, the, the streaming platform is going to be up and running in both countries. But yeah, yeah. it was a bit of a downer having to wait that long. Yeah, and unfortunately, like I'm a person who's really like a stickler for the rules when it comes to um, TV and watching film, and I like to pay for stuff or watching a streaming. I don't like yeah. to watch it if it's illegal. But unfortunately, with the Mandalorian, I, a friend of mine and I won't name names <laughs> sent, <laughs> sent me an email and just said, <laughs> just said, look, I know someone, <laughs> and here is a link. <laughs> It was oh, like really? a private Dropbox link to something. <laughs> yeah, here is a private Dropbox link to something you will probably want to watch. And of course, yeah. I clicked on it, and it was all eight episodes of the Mando. Um, and I was like, "Oh my god, I shouldn't watch this. I shouldn't watch it like that." I I'm, I don't know if I'm proud of myself or not for holding out for two weeks after I got that email. That's still impressive. Yeah, it got to a point where it was still two months or so away from Disney Plus launching. I was like, I'm sorry, guys, I can't. Because every bit of Star Wars content I see on my Twitter feed, Instagram feed, or if I listen to a podcast or something, it's like, I can't. I'm I'm almost having to avoid every form of content now. Yeah. Because it's everyone's breaking down and revealing everything that happens in every episode. So I'm just going to have to watch it. I don't think uh, Bob Iger's short of a quid or two. I don't <laughs> think he'll begrudge. Well, this, this is the funny thing I always find, you know, because box office is, you know, bigger than it's ever been now. And you kind of look at the new, what, five films, Star Wars films that have come out since Disney's acquisition of Lucasfilms. Yeah. And it is like, I understand with the Star Wars fans, it's more about story and everything like that. It's not about financial, but it's interesting to me when pages like variety or bigger publications saying star wars films not as successful or something like that and i'm like you're looking at it not from a fan standpoint or no. uh you know what's actually the content you're looking at it from a financial standpoint and if you are these five films made just under six billion dollars that's incredible isn't it and that is even you put that against marvel standpoint that's phenomenal yeah like, six nearly six billion on five movies i mean that is 
I try to explain to people sometimes because you get the toxic side of the fan base, especially when they really go in against people like Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, like, you've got to you've got to remember that this is like a business and it has to make sense for them to be able to keep producing them. They have to be successful to a certain extent. And if you look at like, I love Kathleen Kennedy. And if you look at what she's done in terms of bringing Star Wars back then that is a financial achievement in itself because it's it hit home runs all over the shop. Yeah. It, yeah. Ridiculous. Even Solo, that didn't benefit from, obviously, release schedule. But, yeah, it still brought in, I think it was like a million or two million short of 400 million at the box office, which is huge for a lot of films. No, there's a 80 90 percent of films don't even get to get close to that kind of stand point. um but then it did end up being um it was like the lead blu-ray for nearly 12 months after it was released i think a lot of people there was that ridiculous boycott solo thing going on it was just so stupid there were people were fatigued for sure i think it was interesting i i i enjoyed solo I've only, for, for a Star Wars film, I've only watched it a few times. Mm. And um, I think the logical thing for it, because there's a campaign going on about, you know, make Solo 2. I'd feel like Disney should make Solo, a t- like the Adventures of Han Solo, a, t- a, a Disney Plus TV show. Yeah, 100%. And you could, you know, you could have him kind of on back on Corellia, getting entangled with the huts really falling out with Lando all these things that that went on, different characters coming in, him and Chewie just tearing up the galaxy having having, getting in and out of scrapes, feels like a really fun old school Saturday, early Saturday evening evening kind of show Um, and yeah I just feel I I think he gets a hard time, I, I there were parts of it that I really didn't like. I didn't need to know how Han Solo got his name. I mean, I, that <laughs> I that in the cinema, and when that happened, just audibly just went fucking hell. And then, <laughs> but then there was some of it that was so brilliant. I mean, I really like Ron Howard's uh, repurposing a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away the blue kind of intro as almost not a crawl as such, but an individual like a breakdown of what was happening yeah and i just thought yeah there was some really interesting stuff in there and it was a it was a fun film it was i mean donald glover was brilliant I de- oh gosh I he was good in, in a sort of a, a, a han solo um tv show but if that is the, if that is the worst box office hit that lucasfilm take out of this to kind of say things aren't going well for them is just ridiculous I mean, Rogue One, I don't know what you thought about Rogue One, but that, that for me is my, that, I think I've probably said this already, that out of the new films, that's my favourite. Yeah. And it was the Star Wars film I'd always wanted, in that it was a, a war. It felt like the Dirty Dozen or um, A Bridge Too Far, one of those kind of films, but set in the Star Wars universe. And we saw the Darth Vader that we wanted to see in Revenge of the Sith. Yes. I just a horrific, brutal uh, antagonist. 
causing the kind of damage that we'd all sort of imagined as kids as to what, you know, as to what you could do. Again, I took my dad to see that film. And when, when the screen goes black and you just hear the, the muffled mechanical breathing and the, the lightsaber go, I think I said something quite loud, like, oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) So excited. And it's only like a minute, a minute and a half, but it's just, that's that'll be in my top five Star Wars moments. Yeah, I feel I feel very much it was like a, a Sam Jackson uh moment from Jurassic Park. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's something that I forgot to talk about when we were chatting about Cassian Andor. Tony Gilroy, who famously came in and rewrote most of the film, most of Rogue One, and is famous for I think I'm not sure if he did the Bourne trilogy, but he definitely did one of the Bourne films brilliant screenwriter he's he's running Cassian Andor so it feels it's like it's going to be that perfect blend of espionage and uh action which is exactly what that that show needs to be yeah and also that's a that's a really that's something the Tony Gilroy coming in that's something that Kennedy doesn't get enough praise for because she was the one who watched that film when it was because they pretty much shot a majority of it hadn't they yeah and she was like this needs something different and something more so she brought uh Gilroy in and it was between her and Gilroy the creation of that Vader scene as well Yeah. yeah um so massively pivotal to the success of Rogue One just yeah. adding in those complete, and I think he wrote. Um, I'm just looking here. He wrote all of the Bourne films, the original run. He did do them right. Yeah, yeah. he did from uh, Identity and um, Bourne Supremacy, Ultimatum. Oh, he did the. I think Rogue One was maybe his last feature film he's done. Um, in between now and then, he's obviously doing the Cassian Andor series. You know, I, and that's just going to be. This is such a brilliant. Um, hiring yeah. to change a film. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of there's a Brian Koppelman who writes Billions has a uh, podcast on the slate called The Moment, and he's kind of he talks to people, creative people about the moment they realise they could do what they can do, and it's pretty, it's really good. Like Killer Mike's on one, and a lot of the cast of, from Billions are on it. But Tony Gilroy is on there and he quite he quite famously and quite surprisingly openly talked about the state of Rogue One before he got his hands on it. And it, it sounds like it was a real mess. And I would love to see that original cut purely because there's, there were so many moments in those early trailers that looked incredible that never showed up. Like that scene in Erso is on the satellite tower, that bridge on the satellite tower. And that TIE fighter kind of rises up from underneath her. And she's kind of face-to-face on with this TIE fighter. There was so much stuff that's on that cutting room floor that, yeah, it feel, it'd it be really interesting to see what it looked like before it was tweaked. It kind of makes me think that did, um, did originally that, was that TIE fighter flown by Krennic? Krennic. Yeah. Yeah. Or for something like because it just seemed like 
it, it wasn't it wasn't just a almost like a tie fighter flyby where it happened to catch her there. No. It it was someone who knew exactly she was there. And I feel there could have been uh, kind of a Krennic in a TIE fighter and Jin Erso on that. Because I think doesn't it, it gets the almost the bridge gets blown up in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Or something like she's stuck in between from one to the one to the next and obviously they rewrite that which still works with the film it's still a brilliant film rogue one i think i went to see it about four times in the cinema um, because once again visually that's what we've that's one of the biggest things we've benefited i think from the recent star wars films is the the art the art direction the visual effects it's just led to so many beautiful moments and cinematography moments that are just just amazing to watch yeah i mean from start to finish with rogue one and the death troopers and that's that kind of they're obviously based on i think they're based on the original darth vader sketches for by ralph Macquarie. yeah but just to have kind of the the special forces of the imperial of the imperial kind of military was so cool and from then on, you know, the, the Krennic, think about that opening scene. You've got Krennic shuttle, you've got the Death Troopers, you've got the Blue Milk, you've got that, that Stormtrooper cuddly toy yeah. kind of abandoned. I mean, it's it, the iconography of Star Wars just runs right through that opening scene. It's so cleverly pieced together. I mean, I think if you're going to pick holes in it, there are moments where I think I wish they'd made Tarkin a hologram rather than a character because the, the uncanny valley is is sometimes a little bit unnerving. You know, when you look at him, you go, oh, I can really see the joins there. Likewise, Leia at the end. But really, that's about it. I mean, Saw Gerrera is a bit over the top in parts. Mm. But that, it's but I, I just think it's such a brilliant film. And that's the kind of, it, that was the kind of film where that was like the, the Star Wars in your head when you were a kid playing with your toys. Yeah. We're going to put them all on the beach. And there's <laughs> going to be catwalkers here and TIE fighters there. And they're going to have to blow up this thing. And of course, the other, the other great thing about Rogue One that we'll see in, in the Cassian Andor series is Katie Wesso, who was for a, such a, and a long lineage of great kind of droids in Star Wars. He's br- he's so brilliant. Just this kind of blunt, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking. And I'm going to tell you what he was saying about you 20 minutes ago that I was told to keep in confidence. Yeah. You know, he's, he's going to, there's going to be a real comedy counterpoint with those two in this series. Because I think it will probably go into some quite dark areas in that it is, because Cassian Andor is, was a separatist, or at least came from a separatist family. So that's going to yeah. be a twist. And then, as we see in kind of the, the second scene in Rogue One, he's not, he's not shy about taking someone out who's not going to help him get to where he needs to be. So he's quite a, he's a very ruthless character. So there's going to be a lot of darkness in this show. And I think KTSO will kind of bring a nice, uh, humorous counterpoint to that going to be interesting to see where they go yeah and what a great actor in diego luna having on board to lead that because that guy is just 
that you know, I mean, he's just brilliant, isn't he? He he really is a brilliant character actor. He was great in Narcos. Yeah, um, and I thought he was brilliant in in Rogue One. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just that's just a great film, and I think the whole that that Vader scene really makes me want to see Vader in in either Cassian Andor or in Kenobi. One of the two. Yeah. If or I was greedy, I'd say both. <laughs> but maybe they'll put Vader in Cassian Andor and Maul in Kenobi. I think that makes slightly more sense. Yeah. It, it really does, because you have the true vendetta of Maul, don't you? Yeah. I, I yeah. know you have... I know Kenobi has... His relationship with both Vader and Maul is both extreme. Maul, obviously, more brief, but quite pivotal. And obviously then Anakin turning into Vader. So really either of them will work. But uh, I would very much like to see, because I feel we have a conclusion to a certain extent of Vader and Kenobi. So it would very much love to see more of a conclusion written in there with him and Maul. Unless, of course, you know, Vader and and Kenobi don't actually meet. But Vader in post-Order 66 Galaxy is sensing that he's still kicking about and is ordering people to go get to find him. I mean, but yeah, like, like you say, the, the, the avenues to where this would go is, is really interesting. Well, I mean, we could see a Vader, Vader and Carl Weathers scene, couldn't we? <laughs> can, can we just him or in getting in his bounty hunters? Well, yeah. I mean, if they go, if he calls in the guild to do his bounty hunting work in kind of, Sort of that in between era of Revenge of the Sith and New Hope. If Cole, they'd have to de-age Cole Weathers by about twenty or thirty years, won't they? Yeah, they're just going to have to get some footage from Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got some of my favourite. I mean, obviously the, the great lines in Mandalorian, "This is the way," and I have spoken. But there's some scenes with Cole Weathers where where Mando walks back in with his his new Beskar armor on. They all hate you, Mando, because you're a legend. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, when he gets kind of mauled by whatever that strange creature that comes out of the sky in episode seven, and Baby Yoda tries to heal him, he's like lying there going, he's trying to eat me. Yeah. <laughs> he's really, really good in it. And I was, I was surprised at how good he was. It's just made me miss Carl Weathers over the years. Yeah, we haven't yeah. haven't had enough Carl Weathers in our lives. That's I know. Mandalorian Rocky, shows me. Predator. What else has he been in that? That I'm trying to think. What else he could have been in? I, don't, I mean, that was his time, wasn't it? The um, 80s slash like some early 90s a bit. Yeah, yeah. he was at the top of his game then, wasn't he? Top. Yeah, because I must admit, I was confused when I saw when I saw the cast list for Mandalorian. Okay, well, uh, Pedro Pascal, Red Viper, Game of Thrones, that's going to be cool. Yeah. Carl Weathers, Werner Herzog. Yeah, well, that was a surprise as well. Yeah, I mean, but again, brilliant, great casting, so creepy, and just got that kind of, yeah, really creepy and menacing. um, We're forgetting the. As uh, Moff Gideon, yes, incredibly menacing character in Breaking Bad, and now Better Call Saul. Yeah, he he's a really good villain. So yeah, they got that spot on. 
They got their absolute spot on. Uh, we're forgetting, obviously, Happy Gilmore for Carl Weathers. Oh, of course, yes. yeah. <laughs> in in an in an amazing comedic turn. <laughs> he's got he's he's got a false arm, isn't he? Is that right? Yeah, but yeah, he, he has. Yeah. Didn't an alligator take it? Am I? Yeah, yeah. When he <laughs> went to retrieve his golf ball. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Because at the end of the film, the ghost of Carl Weathers and the alligator are kind of above the house, aren't they? When the... Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, 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 I remember that. How could I have forgotten Happy Gilmore? <laughs> Greatest old film ever made. Better than Caddyshack. Or something. 100%. Well, Matt, I think that's a great way to uh, finish it there. Um, that was brilliant. Thanks for coming to uh, coming and doing this. Oh, I will happily chat Star Wars anytime. <laughs> Hi guys, I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast. Please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and may the force be with you. Thank you.